sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. This is the SportsGrid Radio Network. It's that time. Welcome in to Cover It with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM Channel 159, the Sports Grid Radio Network. Over the course of the next hour, we're going to get to spend time with a risk management supervisor from the Westgate Superbook here in Las Vegas. Arthur DeCesar is going to join us, and anytime I get an odds maker on, you better believe I'm going to pick his brain with all the questions I want to know <laughs> about what the bookmakers think, what the bookmakers do. And Art, he's real forthcoming. He's going to be honest and tell us what's really going on behind the scenes of the Westgate Superbook. So I'm going to ask him uh, a bunch of general questions, and then we're going to ask some specific questions about who betters are liking right now in baseball as well as for the upcoming football season. So it should be an interesting discussion an informative discussion with uh, Arthur Caesar from the Westgate Superbook. But before we get into that, let's put a cap on this NBA season. All right. I had a big fight. I, I do three shows a week, uh, every week here on uh, the Sports Grid uh, radio and TV networks. I do uh, late night raid, uh, sports raids with uh, Gabe Morenci on Thursdays. And I do the Cover It podcast every Saturday and every Sunday, uh, which is so I do one uh, hour long hit with my buddy and then two. Uh, of my own hour-long hits here on the Sports Grid Radio Network. So I was on with Marenzi on Thursday night, and man, me and him were brawling. We were battling about the NBA Finals. His argument, the Celtics lost it. My argument, the Warriors won it. And of course, I'm not on the show with Gabe today, so you get to hear my opinion about what happened. Let's put a recap uh, on what happened in the NBA Finals. And people say, when did Boston lose the game, the series? You can make, I think, three arguments where Boston lost the series. I'm going to make the argument they lost the NBA Finals when they lost Game 6 at home against Miami. That, in my mind, changed the nuance of what it was going to look like the rest of the way. Because they lost Game 6 at home versus Miami, they were forced to go on the road and play a do-or-die Game 7, which meant back-to-back seven-game series. Grueling seven-game series. Meanwhile, again, we're not talking about easy opponents. They had to beat the defending champs and the Eastern Conference champs from the year before. After knocking out Brooklyn, who was a team that people thought uh, was going to be live to win a title this year, they obviously didn't play out that way in the postseason. But clearly, Boston was fatigued in this series. They did not play as well as they had been playing. And I think that all comes down to the Game 6 home loss, that fourth quarter where they blew the lead against Miami and sent it back to Game 7, which allowed the Warriors to get the extra rest while the Celtics didn't. But it wasn't just the fatigue factor. Golden State was the better team in a number of different ways. The Warriors' defense was absolutely elite in that series. I was able to cash an underbet uh, in Game 6 saying Golden State has figured out how to stop Boston. And that came in the fourth quarter of Game 4. Remember, the Celtics are up 2-1. to one. They have a double-digit second-half lead. They have a, I forget what the lead was at the start of the fourth. You know, a 
They had a, a good enough lead at the start of the fourth quarter, midway through the fourth quarter of that game four, to hold on to take a 3-1 lead and to probably win the series. But Golden State stepped it up defensively. I think the Celtics ended up with 11 fourth quarter points. Very few of them between about the nine-minute mark and the two-minute mark of that fourth quarter. And what looked like Boston taking control of the series ended up being Golden State winning game four, tying the series, and eventually taking momentum. So I thought that was the key. Like, if there's one point in the series we're going to say, yeah, that's where it shifted. Game four in Boston, absolutely. The other key factor, and I think Jordan Poole's three-pointer at the end of the third quarter in game five was huge. Remember, Boston came out game five and they were flat. And then they came out in the third quarter and, you know, third quarter Warriors, not that game. It was third quarter Celtics. They took the lead and then Poole banked in the three right before the end of the third quarter buzzer. The crowd went nuts. The Warriors were energized. And if you look at the results after that, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for Boston was that shot by Jordan Poole. But we have the fatigue factor. Certainly the two benches, night and day difference. Everyone's like, what's wrong with Jason Tatum? What's wrong with Jason Tatum? Tatum and Brown and Smart and Horford, I believe, were one, two, three, four in terms of minutes played in the postseason. Uh, so, and Tatum played the most on anyone. He was gassed. He wasn't bad. He was gassed. Oh, and by the way, the Golden State Warriors... They play elite defense, right? It's just like, oh, Boston stinks. No, Boston doesn't stink. They beat the Bucks. They beat the Heat. They beat the Nets. They were the best team in the Eastern Conference over the back half of the season. But they ran into an elite defensive squad, and that was the difference. Another difference, you know, we have the bench play for the Warriors. I mean, the Celtics bench, you know, with the Pritchard-White-Williams uh, trio off the bench, non-factor. <laughs> in the Warriors series. Certainly down the stretch, the last three or four games of that series, that bench was badly outplayed by the Warriors bench. Fatigue, bench, elite defense. Six finals in the last eight years meant something for Golden State. No playoffs the last two years meant something, too. They were fresh, they were rested, and they had an easier path. And last but not least, let's not forget Andrew Wiggins. He was the X factor in that series. Boston didn't have an X factor. Golden State did. It was Wiggins. And obviously it made a big difference in the outcome with the Warriors winning in six. All right. Arthur Caesar coming up next. Cover it. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. When I first moved to Vegas, it was 1998. Uh, it was uh, the start of the preseason. It was August 1998, start of the NFL preseason. And that was the first time I had a chance to meet a bookmaker. The first bookmaker I ever met, his name was Joe Lupo. He ended up, uh, uh, I think he's still working in Jersey. Uh, but he ended up, uh, Lupo ended up getting promoted and promoted and promoted. He ended up running casinos. But Joe Lupo was the race and sports book director at the Stardust Race and Sportsbook. Back in the day when I first moved to town, he was the first bookmaker that I ever had a conversation with. And Joe, he's this friendly guy, 
but he's a little bit of an intimidating guy. And I remember the first time I talked to him, I'm like, man, I sounded like an ass clown. Uh, you know, I'm like, I don't want to do that again. Uh, and certainly, like, Bob Scucci, who took over for Joe Lupo, real easy to along with, real easy to talk to. And one of the things that's happened over the years in Las Vegas, you talk to odds makers, you're less intimidated when talking to odds makers than you were when you first got here. You realize, hey, some of these guys are nice guys. And boy, they know their fair share about sports betting. Was lucky enough to have Chris Andrews on a few weeks ago, uh, talking about his experiences at the South Point Race and Sportsbook. And today, I'm excited to bring you guys Arthur DeCesar from the Westgate Superbook, a risk management supervisor over at the Westgate Superbook. Arthur DeCesar, welcome to the program, my friend. How are you today? Teddy, it's good to be here. It's always a pleasure to be with you, my friend. The pleasure is all mine, and I know you're in the midst of a busy working day as we speak. You spent a whole lot of hours at the Westgate uh, Superbook, which means you're going to give us a look behind the counter and let our audience in on some of the, I'm not going to call them secrets, but some of the thought processes that go on behind the scenes. Betters are always interested, especially this time of year where it's not so much about handicapping this game or that game or the other game. It's a great time of year to bring a bookmaker like yourself uh, on the show. And, uh, geez, where do I start? I feel like starting with, uh, how'd you get this job? <laughs> I know I didn't send that to you in the, uh, uh, in the show notes, but like that's what comes to mind. It's like, uh, how do you start? You say, all right, I want to be a bookmaker. How do you start that process, and how do you end up as a risk management super supervisor over at the Westgate? Well, that's a great question, you know, Teddy, and I get it. I get asked a lot, like, hey, how do you break in? How do you do this? Like everybody, man, you start as a ticket writer. I started as a ticket writer four or five years ago. I was working for Caesars Properties, and then, you know, you eventually, you know, I made a move over to the Westgate about a year ago. You know, I was working as a frontline supervisor, and then, you know, things open up, and you're lucky enough to uh, – get an opportunity to hop back into the risk room and learn from, you know, a bunch of people back there like, you know, Ed Salmons and Jeff Sherman and Jay Cornegay and John Murray, guys who have numbers and numbers of years of just, you know, experience. And I'm just, I'm trying to be a sponge back there. So I always tell people, if you're going to start, you're going to start like everyone. Guys, Jay Cornegay was a ticket writer. You know what I mean? Like now he's running the Westgate. So yeah, that's where you start. You really start there. You're not going to start as a director or in risk management or anything. You're just, you have to start and you have to build your way up. And I've pretty much been climbing the ladder here over the last three, four, five years. So I was just talking about how my first year, in, you know, I came out here for the 98 uh, football season and I haven't left. Uh, but uh, when I first got out here and I was trying to break in and I, I met with the, uh, uh, a guy who became a good friend, Sean Hess, he said, get a job at a sports book. That's where you learn. Get a job at a sports book. And I'm like, I don't want a job. I want to just bet on sports. <laughs> and uh, I, I, never, uh, I never took a job at a sports book. But I was encouraged to do that by multiple people. Even my first year writers, like, if you want to learn, that's where you learn. Just get a job at a ticket writer. You can get that job. Uh, and if you're good, you know, if you're enthusiastic, you have an opportunity to move up. Uh, so uh, it, was, it was on my radar I just never actually pulled the trigger on getting a work, uh, finding work uh, at a sports book. How hard is it to get a job at a ticket writer? Like, well, are there tests you have to pass? Like, how does a, if a guy wants to come in and be a ticket writer, uh, what does he have to uh, have on his resume? No, you know, I mean, listen, I didn't have anything on my resume. Obviously, I didn't have any experience in a sports book. 
you know, it's just, it's the normal stuff that you would need, you know, basic math skills, cash handling experience, things of that nature, pretty rudimentary type stuff where, you know, you can break in. But I always tell people that, like, you know, because they, I get, I really do, I get it a lot of times, people come in or they see me on, you know, Twitter and they ask, like, how do I break in? And I'm like, Listen, it starts there, and it always is actually this time of the year. When you're starting to go into football season, this is when the sports books start to hire more. Because obviously we're now, you know, we're now in the lull. We just finished the NBA Finals, and, you know, we're in baseball. Hockey's almost over. But, you know, mid-late July, August, sports books really start to ramp up their roster. So this is the time to get in. And with all the sports books, not only in Vegas, but all over the country, there's so many opportunities to break in now. Sure. I mean, part of the reason why sports betting got legalized, not the big part of the reason, but it certainly is a job creator. Uh, so for those of you out there who are considering work in this field, Arthur Caesar telling us it might not be a, not a bad time to send out a couple of resumes right about now. Uh, Art, let's get into it. Uh, all right. Um, we talk about the betting markets as opposed to any individual sports book at this stage of the uh, sports betting universe. But can you explain how the market set numbers and how the Superbook sets their openers? Is there really such a thing as trap lines? Uh, talk about the process behind setting the Westgate Superbook openers in comparison to what the global marketplace is doing. Well, obviously, you're always going to have your offshore markets that have basically the first openers. And, you know, you're going to have your indicator books in Vegas. You know, Westgate is one of those. And, you know, as far as the big sports go, like in NFL or college football, you know, our risk team, like I said, the guys who have the years and years experience in there, you're going to start with your power numbers, your power ratings, and you're going to go from there. Yeah, you can make adjustments. Yeah, maybe you can go with the market or a sharp guy or a sharp group can come in and bet you on a number and maybe show you you were a little off so you can adjust there. But it all really starts with the power ratings. And that's the key. That's where the openers are going to start. And, you know, you got to remember, too, a lot of times with the openers, especially if maybe if it's a week in advance or two weeks, you know, you're going to take smaller limits because you're just not going to let people hop in right away and get what they would get on a, you know, a week of type situation. So it gives us time to adjust, time to see kind of maybe where we went wrong or maybe, you know, whatever the case may be. So always starts with the power ratings. So let me ask you this. So back in the risk management room, you know, the, the story that I've heard is there's however many guys that the director is going to listen to, you know, whether it's three guys or five guys, a handful of guys in the room, and uh, person A comes out and says, all right, we're looking at the numbers. I'm just looking at the college football, like the week one lines. Now, the first line I'm seeing is Northwestern Nebraska. and uh, The markets are like uh, Westgate sitting at 12 there. And one guy comes out and says, all right, uh, my powering number says the nine should be 10. Another guy says my powering number should be 14. Another guy says my number should be seven. Another guy says my number should be 17. And, you know, in the offseason, you're going to see significant variances between one capper's power ratings and another. Uh, how does the sportsbook director, how do you decide which of those numbers you're going to use? Or are you going to kind of average them together? Well, there could be a part of, you know, the average together. But, you know, I think you said it. We're going to basically have one or two voices. You know, the rest of us, like me, who's just starting in the risk room, we could be a voice. We could voice our opinion. But in the end, there's going to be one, maybe two voices that really is going to be the person that says, you know, it's great that you guys 
feel this way or, you know, your numbers are this, but this is where we're going to open. And a lot of times, too, maybe if it's so off and everybody in the room has different numbers varying between, you know, three, four, and five points, you can really just kind of see where the market is, too. You can maybe go off that. But it is going to be the one or two voices, and then the rest of us, I call us, you know, we're the soldiers. We just have to go with it and say, okay, you know, hey, this is what our lieutenants are saying, and, you know, we got to go off that, and then we just got to start booking off these numbers. So that's always how it is. You know, for someone like me who's only been in it three, four months now, you know, I'm starting to learn that process more and more. It really is a fascinating process, and our audience is going to hear more about it. you got to stay tuned through the break, but I'm telling you, I've just started with Arthur Cedar. i got a million questions to ask him. Coverage continues after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Don't miss anything from our programming. Go to Twitter and follow us at SportsGrid, at SportsGrid TV, to stay informed all day long. SportsGrid Radio, too. You're going to see clips, breaking news, updates, and pretty much everything else at SportsGrid and at SportsGrid TV and at SportsGrid Radio on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Teddy underscore covers. And, of course, you can follow Arthur DeCesar on Twitter with one of the best Twitter handles out there at ArtDice21. Uh, Art uh, doing the Vegas route uh, with his uh, uh, Twitter handle. Uh, and of course, he is at the Westgate Superbook. You can follow them at Superbook. So we were talking just a moment ago about how the market set numbers, how the Superbook sets their numbers. This is my question for you. Are there trap lines? Do trap lines really exist, or is that just something that recreational bettors see when they're talking about road favorites laying less than they think they should be laying? Uh, do trap lines exist? You know, that's a great question. I, I personally don't think they do, but I think you're more speaking to maybe the recreational bettors or the people who are just now getting into this space, and they're thinking, you know, you hear it. You know, when I was a frontline supervisor, you would hear it. Oh, that's a trap. Like, how, you know, how could that be this or how could that be that? So I don't believe in it. Obviously, as bookmakers, we're not sitting there trying to set traps. I mean, we're, like I said, we're going off our power numbers. We're trying to put out the best number, trying to get, you know, not the 50 50 action that, you know, everyone always talks about, but, you know, essentially that's where we're going to try to start and then, you know, adjust to where we need to adjust, whether, you know, these bets are coming in from this group or the market's moving, whatever it is. I don't believe in trap lines myself. So I used to, I don't know if it was real or not, but again, when I first moved to Vegas back in 98, I would go to the Stardust for the opener. And when the Stardust hung a six and a half, I would always take the dog. When they hung a seven and a half, I would always look to the favorite. And that, in my limited sample size, that worked out very well for me. <laughs> you know, do the books ever tell better something when they're posting a number? Hey, this is a six and a half, not a seven or a seven and a half. This favorite isn't as good. Or is it really just a combination of power ratings? Are the books sending messages with the numbers? 
Well, Teddy, I think when you look at football, obviously, especially the NFL with the key numbers, you know, three and seven, I think maybe there is something to look into it. Maybe a team is two and a half or three and a half, or like you said, six and a half or seven and a half. Sure, there might be a way to look at it that way, but... Like I said, we, we're not in the business of trying to set traps. It's just not what we do. Like, we, you know, if we were worried about setting traps on every game, like, you know, our heads would spin. So it's just <laughs> not something, I mean, it's just not something we're going to do. Like, like I said, the guys in that room, you know, the big-time heavy hitters and the guys I'm learning under, they're going to stick to their power ratings, wait for, you know, the initial big-time groups, the, you know, the guys who bet the opening numbers to kind of see where the money comes and, like I said, maybe see where we're off or whatever the case may be and then we adjust from there so no i don't necessarily think if it's off of a key number we're quote unquote saying something with that number good good info strong info from arthur caesar art this is a question i always get asked how much does it take to move a point spread or a money line and is it pure one-sided volume or is it more mostly about reacting to respected betters combination of both i think obviously your respected betters when they come in on the opening numbers especially in the nfl you know we have let's say it's week three we already have week four lines out so we always have like a week ahead look ahead so and once again lower limits on those but you know if a respected group or respected player comes in and bets a number we'll look at that because the public's not going to hop on those bets yet so that could be something where we go, oh, okay, let's keep an eye on that. And, you know, we don't overreact right away. And, you know, we'll just adjust from there. I think when you get too much on one side, yeah, you can move. Maybe you see the market moving. Maybe it's against what you feel or what we feel in the room, but we just can't be a full point off or maybe a point and a half off on a total. So we just have to sometimes move with the market, and that's maybe because we're getting skewed too much on one side. So those things can happen. So it is a combination of both. So you talked earlier about – you know, that in theory, the goal is 50-50 action, equal action on both sides. But the reality, there aren't many games. You're going to get equal action on both sides. Um, the question I have here is, are there games you're comfortable taking a position on? Uh, where, all right, you know, we, we know the action is going to come this way, but we don't care. We're willing to book it. And is that uh, just a few games, a lot of games, only the high-profile games like a Monday night football or Sunday night football? Uh, or is it... You know, we really want as many 50-50 games as we can. We're not trying to win bigger decisions. Listen, in theory, the 50-50 thing sounds great. In, in, <laughs> on an NFL Sunday, maybe you get one or two games like that if it's a full slate. It, it doesn't happen that much. Yeah, okay, you're going to try to book to that. But it's just not possible, you know, especially in Vegas where, you know, you have – Floods of public people coming in week in and week out. You know, you got the Raiders in town now, so all these fans from other places are coming. It's just like there's so much volatility week in and week out with all the people who are coming in. I think, though, we do feel, especially on like a Sunday night football, the end of a Sunday slate, if we've had a really good week or even a bad week, like we can kind of maybe book to a different number or book to where we really feel like, hey, we're not going to move. Even if the market is this way, we can feel, hey, let's book to this. So that could definitely happen on those standalone games, Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night football. And obviously these are going to happen in those type of sports, the NFL especially. You know, the other type of sports – really aren't going to attract 
that type of way for us. We're just going to book the way we need to book it and not feel like let's take a real position. What about in baseball? We're like, you know, nobody, if, if well, uh, let's take a series this weekend, for example. You have the, uh, the Atlanta Braves and the Chicago Cubs, and the Cubs are in a losing streak and the Braves are in a winning streak. Or the Padres in Colorado, and the Rockies have lost, what, seven straight at home, and the Padres are the best road team in baseball. These games where there's no way you're getting two-way action, certainly not from the public. Um, in baseball, do you worry about the, the, you know, the 50-50, or is it at the end of the week you know, enough favorites will have lost that you guys will make a few bucks? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Baseball, right, that's that's the sport where basically every day you're going to have minus $2 favorites and above because there's so many haves and have-nots in baseball. You know, the Yankees and Dodgers and teams like the Braves and these Padres, really good teams, like you said. And then you have all these bottom feeders, you know, Reds and Orioles and all these bad teams. So, yeah, you're never going to get 50-50, but you do realize that the underdogs will win enough in baseball. And we also – recognize that there's going to be a lot of parlays in baseball. So, you know, people are going to be very happy to put three, four, five, six favorites together. You just need one, maybe even two of those to hit, and it starts cracking up everybody's parlays. And, you know, when people are going to lay minus 200, minus 250, minus 300, you know, those teams are going to lose. The best team is going to lose 60 games. So, you know, we're fine with that in baseball. Yeah, so parlay killers, teaser killers. I know that during football season, those are crucial. Uh, for the sports books, you know, the one or two games that really goes the wrong way for betters to kill the parlays, and certainly uh, MLB, no different in that regard. Art, I want to ask you this, all right? It feels like, certainly across the country, there are many books that are struggling to deal with sharp betters. Books are catering to recreational players, and the savvy betters are having issues with limits, they're having issues with getting cut off. Um... They're struggling to book to wise guys. That's not the case in Vegas. That's certainly not the case at the Westgate Superbook, where you guys not only have thrived catering to wise guys, your limits are high, you take action, you don't bar betters. How do you deal with the wise guys slash sharp money that other books are struggling in that regard, and why can't you teach them? <laughs> well, I, th- I think when it comes to across the country, obviously all these states are not getting into it, and they don't know how to react. Maybe they overreact to a bad NFL weekend or a bad NFL month or whatever the case may be. I know for us, and having sat in the back room now for a couple of months and just listened to you know, the thought process, sharp betters are very important. They're important because it's nice to take action and you know be a respected sportsbook, but they can also show you, like I said, maybe where you're off on a number. Or, you know, listen, nobody's perfect. Not, we're, we're not machines. Not everything is always going to be, wow, we booked this correctly or, you know, we're always ahead of the curve. Like a sharp better or sharp group can come in and you're like, oh, wow, wait, what, what are they seeing that we're not seeing? So sharp betters for us and everything I've heard from the guys in the back room are important for us to get an indicator of kind of maybe where the money's going to go or where our number is going to move. And, of course, you know, you talk about the biggest editors, the biggest edges that betters have over bookmakers, and there's one that stands out like a sore thumb in terms of a real edge that we have over you. You guys got to put up numbers for every single game, side, total, first half, team total. That's, I mean, on and on down the line. And all we got to do is find one that's bad. Um, (laughs) 
You know, is that so when you talk about being confident in every number, especially we talk about like the early college football season and the mid majors. How does that play out in terms of your confidence uh, on, uh, on on uh, some of these teams when you know that you know all betters are looking for is one bad line? You're absolutely right, right, Teddy. They're looking for a half point here, point there, maybe a total that's a point or two off. I think college football too. The the volatility of the way the lines are. It's just it's something in the first four weeks you have to kind of say, all right, let's tread water, and then we can readjust our numbers. Strong info from Arthur Season. I'm telling you guys, I got a ton more questions to ask him. We're going to talk about props. We're going to talk about in-game betting. And we're going to talk about who betters like already when it comes to the upcoming football season. Stay tuned through the break. It's a short break. Coverage continues after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. So this is the time of year where I can actually get sportsbook directors and sportsbook risk management supervisors and sportsbook guys to come on the show because they have time to breathe. It's the summer months, and I'm going to take advantage of that, believe you me, and bring it in a guy like Arthur DeCesar, who, when you hear him talk on air, he's exact the same way in person. There's you know one guy, you know, I was talking about being super intimidated talking to Joe Lupo <laughs> at the Westgate back in the day. <laughs> you know, the stare he had was something else, man, when you just look at you like you had 26 heads, and I was like, I'm just going to shut up and slink back into the crowd now. Art's not that way. Art's very easy to talk to. He's always, you know, if, if you come into the Westgate and say, hey, Art, I heard you on the radio. Just wanted to say hi. He's thrilled to have that conversation with you. He's genuinely a nice guy. So uh, if you're in Las Vegas, stop by and say hi at the Westgate Superbook. Arthur DeCesar. Art, in some ways, uh, Vegas is light years ahead. You know, certainly when it comes to how to deal with wise guy betters and use their information to help the sports book in general set a better line for everybody else. But one area where Vegas is not light years ahead, they're light years behind when it comes to the variety of bets offered, especially of prop bets. Now, I know that in other states, books are really trying to get market share, and it's all about market share grab right now. And the props are at least a piece of that puzzle. And I also know that there are books out there that are putting out a ton of props. They're getting clocked every day. And they're putting out weak numbers that is influencing their stock price on a game-in, game-out basis. Do you expect Vegas, the dichotomy between what we see in Vegas and what we're seeing in other states to continue over the long term when it comes to props? Do you think the states that are putting out, or the books that are putting out all of these props on all of these games are going to be able to continue to do that long term before they start getting beat uh, or before they give up because they've been getting beat? Uh, talk to me about the, the, uh, the Vegas and the prop markets in particular, what we're seeing here compared to the rest of the country. I think when you talk about gambling and where we are, especially in Vegas, I think props are the most interesting piece of this. Obviously, you see we're all on social media. We see all these places in these different states and same-game parlays and parlays on everything, and you're like, wow. And then you go to Vegas, and you can barely find props on anything. Um, 
it's definitely gotten better in the four or five years I've been in the business. You know, for the NBA Finals recently, NBA Finals game, we'd have 40 or 50 props where handful of years ago when I was working at another place, we might not have any props on the NBA Finals games. So it, it really has started to pick up a little bit of steam. And, you know, we've had this conversation before, and I think it's got a lot to do with the new blood that is getting into the betting. And it's younger crowds, and they want those type of options. They want a chance to put 5 or $10 down on a same-game parlay and really cash out big. And, you know, the, the odds boost thing has become a really big thing. You know, Superbook is not only in Nevada, but we're in Colorado, Arizona, Jersey, and Tennessee. And in those other states where we're starting to put, you know, our footprint down, we have started to offer more props and more odds boost and things of that nature because it's just the way it is because everyone else in those states are offering it. So we don't have a choice but to keep up with the Joneses. Now, will Vegas ever get to a point where, you know, on a major league baseball game on a random Tuesday in July, you're going to have every person who's a starter listed to hit a home run? Uh, probably not, but I do think we're starting to get there. And I even noticed during the NBA regular season, you know, on TNT Thursday games or ESPN Saturday games, kind of the standalone NBA stuff, we would offer props, you know, five, 10 props on each game. So, it's starting to pick up steam, whereas like a couple of years ago, you wouldn't find those props. So this is just your opinion. I know you don't have any inside. I don't think you have any inside info on this, <laughs> uh, but I'm just asking your opinion here. You're saying that Vegas is likely to have some more props and the prop market is going to only increase in this town. What about the other side of the equation? You're like at, at a handful of you can literally, literally bet every player to do everything. Is that going to go on indefinitely, or are the books at some stage that have been so aggressive with the props going to you know, to, you know, take their ball and go home because they've gotten beaten so badly? Uh, is that going to go on indefinitely, do you think, or is this one of these take advantage, you know, strike while the iron's hot because this, this might not be there for that much longer? Yeah, it's a great question. Just to take Vegas real quick, I think we will see an increase in the props in the next two, three, four, five-plus years. I think that's coming. The other states are interesting. I think you you hit it on the head when you said, you know, they offer so many props, and sometimes the numbers are just bad. And obviously, bettors, if they're smart, can take advantage of that. I think these, these books that get in these brand-new states, they just want to – they want to stand out. They want to offer things people don't offer or basically let you parlay or connect anything you want to do. I don't know how long that can last because, like you said, I mean, some of these places are getting beat over the head with that. We as bookmakers in Vegas are never going to get to that level, like I said, where we're offering something on everything. But we'll be competitive enough where we can offer things to the people, especially the out-of-towners who come in and go, well, my sports book, because I hear this all the time. My book in this state offers this. Why don't you guys? So are we going to get to offer everything? No, but I think we'll get to kind of a happy medium here in Vegas. And one of the areas that's been, the, you know, the, one of the biggest drivers of sportsbook growth in recent years has been the in-game betting, obviously. You know, the prop betting and the in-game betting have been the two biggest movers when it comes to, you know, everyone's always been betting sides and betting totals, but props and in-game uh, are the ones that, are, you know, the, the numbers just skyrocket every year. Let me ask you about the Westgate and your approach uh, to 
in-game betting and with the Superbook. Is that all algorithm-based or is someone actually manually adjusting the numbers? And how much in-game action do you take? Oh, we're definitely manually adjusting numbers, you know, and a lot of the times it just goes off what's the market set, and then we can kind of adjust and tweak here and there. Um, listen, the big sports, college football, NFL, you're going to have plenty of in-game options. Obviously, the NBA Finals, you have that. Even I saw something interesting, which I hadn't seen offered at places I've worked at before. You know, we were doing, in like, intermission Stanley Cup hockey stuff. So, you know, for the playoffs, we were offering in-game betting for that. So that's something that I hadn't seen and we started to do. Nothing as far as baseball yet, unless, you know, we get to, like, the World Series. But, no, in-game is right there with props, I think right behind it. But, you know, the 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 hunger for the in-game is huge. You get a lot of people who, like I said, I would hear come up and go, hey, you got an in-game for this, you know, Mavericks jazz game on a Wednesday night. And, you know, we're not there yet. Obviously, on playoffs and bigger type of games, we are there. I don't know if we'll necessarily offer it for every game, but – you know, it could be something where maybe we move that to the to the app where we're offering on the app because it's hard when you have a busy sports book. You don't have maybe enough windows open to cater to all the in-game. People get shut out. You don't want that to happen. So maybe it's something where we push a lot of the in-game to the app. And you guys got a lot of windows at the Westgate Superbook. <laughs> uh, as long as you're staffed up, there's usually not too many issues. So, Art, we've talked a lot about theory. Let's give our folks out there some actionable information. Let's talk about right now where the money and I I want to start in baseball because we are in baseball season. Like when it comes to daily MLB liability, sides and totals, are betters backing the same teams every day? And if so, who are they backing? Who are the, the, the respected betters backing consistently? Who are the recreational betters backing on a day in, day out basis? Well, listen, when it comes to MLB, you know, our sharper, more respected bettors, they're going to take underdogs, they're going to bet totals, and then the public, there's no surprise here. They're taking the Yankees' money line, which has been great. Obviously, you got to lay a big number every day, and I know we've had this conversation before, the Dodgers' run line. People have been very happy, and they're going to lay the money line as well, but they've been very happy to lay the run line with the Dodgers. A lot of people, too, you've seen a lot of streaks, whether it's win streaks or losing streaks in baseball. A lot of people like to kind of ride that wave, whether it's ride the losing streak wave or ride the winning streak wave. So recreational bettors always are going to put together parlays, lay the big number, have no problem doing that, whereas our sharp guys look for an underdog that will give them some value because, like we said, there's just so many underdogs that cash in a daily and weekly and monthly basis in Major League Baseball. Sure, as long as the bad teams are going to win 60. It's when the bad teams win 50 that you guys have a problem (laughs) (laughs) in MLB. So the Sharps are betting dogs. The public is betting exactly who we expect uh, the public to bet in MLB. Anything of note to talk about? I mean, certainly the NBA Finals are over. Um, How'd you guys do in the NBA Finals? What are we doing in terms of liability for the NHL Finals before we start uh, talking about football? So, you know, NBA, which just wrapped up, Warriors were actually a good result for us. You know, if it wasn't going to be Nets, Lakers, Bucks, Clippers, those type of teams, any result was going to be fine. Celtics even would have been a good result for us, too, but Warriors were actually a better one. We gave a little bit back on the series price. People were very happy to take 
the Warriors throughout, even with the zigzags in the beginning. I remember after game four, when it was 2-2, we had it 110 flat both ways, you know, because we couldn't hang a plus number with the Warriors. So gave a little bit back on the on the series price. Warriors, good result. And then the Warriors open as the betting favorite for the NBA championship next year. Sure. And uh, let's talk a little bit of football. we got just a couple of minutes left here with uh, Arthur DeCesar. Uh, risk management supervisor over at the Westgate Superbook here in Las Vegas. And this is the question that everyone probably wants to ask you the most. Where's the early action coming in for football season? NFL and or college? Who do the wise guys like? Who are they betting now? Give me some thoughts. Absolutely. I'm going to give you two in college football and I'm going to give you one in the NFL. College football, Utah at Florida. We opened Utah minus one. It's only moved the point. Utah, now we're hanging a minus two, but early money has come in on Utah, and that is sharp money because, especially betting early in the season, public is not betting yet. And then Army, Army, we opened plus five and a half. It's now plus three and a half at Coastal Carolina. Good sharp money early on Army. And then NFL Week One, and this obviously has to do with the Deshaun Watson news. We opened the Browns at the Panthers Week One, minus four and a half. It's now minus three because of all the uncertainty with Watson. So that's more public money that has driven that number, but there are still some sharp guys that hopped in and felt four and a half, four, and even three and a half were good enough. Utah and Army taking money Week One in college football. And the Carolina Panthers, a team I want no part of, taking money in the NFL in week one. Great info. I really enjoyed this hour. It just flew by. Promote yourself. Promote your sports book. Uh, talk about where folks can find you and what you have to offer. Well, Teddy, it's a pleasure to join you, man. You know, we've had a good opportunity to do this a bunch of times, and it's just always fun. But listen, guys, Westgate's Superbook. Anytime you're in Vegas, you just come down, you ask for me, Arthur to Caesar, I'll be more than happy to help you. And, you know, the other states I mentioned, if you're in Colorado, Jersey, Arizona, Tennessee, we're starting to set up shop there. Been in a couple of those states for a little while now. So you can go to Superbook.com and get all the information you need to get set up with the app there. But when you're in the retail spot, the flagship in Vegas, you come ask for me, and I'll get you set up with whatever you need, the app, drink tickets, seats, anything you need, I'm your guy. So, yeah, talk to me about drink tickets. People like drink tickets. Uh, do you guys have a policy? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a policy, but, you know, if you know someone, wink, wink me, you know, we can kind of slide. <laughs> uh, Arthur to Caesar at ArtDice21 on Twitter. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great weekend, and I look forward to having you on the show sometime again in the not-too-distant future. When we come back, Art was teasing NBA future book. I'm going to talk about it. Stay tuned. Cover it. Continue. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're here in the home stretch. Of Cover It with Teddy Covers on Sirius XM, uh, channel 159, the Sports Grid Radio Network. Listen, if you missed any portion of today's broadcast, if you want to go back and re-listen, there's something you, hey, man, Art Caesar, what do he say there? You can go back and download 
Cover It with Teddy Covers, all major podcast outlets, all minor podcast outlets. Wherever you download your podcast, you download Cover It with Teddy Covers. You can download today's show. You can download yesterday's show. I was talking K-Props with Matt Josephs. You can download anything in the archives. Again, just search Cover It with Teddy Covers wherever you download your podcast and consume at your convenience. All right, so we have the NBA Future Book Odds that have already come out for the 2023 championship. And I will start with this. I hate the NBA Future Book. Why? Because dogs never come through. Never, 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 never. <laughs> All right. Only the favorites are good enough to win four playoff series in the NBA. You don't get a hot goalie like you do sometimes in uh, in hockey or a hot lineup all of a sudden in baseball or pitching staff that goes on fire. You got to be elite. And the elite teams are all priced at 10 to 1 or less. Look, the Warriors and the Celtics are 1 and 2. You have the Nets, the Bucks, the Suns, and the Clippers all at less than 10 to 1. Again, these are market numbers right now, not any one uh, particular book. So those are the teams that are likely to win the title next year. <laughs> all right? Warriors, Celtics, Nets, Bucks, Suns, Clippers, and they're all like 9 to 1, 8 to 1, or less. And that's six teams in that range. So, you know, whatever limited value there is, is on the long shots. Uh, you know, I love to bet the Clips, not at 8-1. to one. <laughs> That's the wrong number. So where might there be some value? Two teams stand out to me that are both priced a little bit higher. I'm not convinced either one's going to win a title. But if I was going to bet right now, Lakers, they still have a championship core. And the 76ers, who still have as good a player as there is, in the NBA and a solid supporting cast. So both of those longer shots, more in the 20 to 1 range. I'm not betting either one, but if I was, Lakers or Sixers would be my choice. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.